security. Here are your co-hosts and cybersecurity experts, Brian Horning, Reginald Andre, and Randy Bryan. How exciting. Yeah. I think they started going crazy when they heard your name this time, Brian. They did. They know they did. They definitely did. It was hilarious. Um, welcome to another edition of the Security Squad podcast, everyone. I am your co-host, Brian Horning, here with Reginald Andre and Randy Bryan. How are you, gentlemen? Welcome to another week. Another week of just talking about all things cybersecurity. And we don't even, we're not even going to find out about the Labor Day stuff until next episode. So if you're waiting to hear what happened over Labor Day, right. it's a little too early for that yet. The stuff hasn't hit the news yet, but they are, there are, there are things going on. Trust me. Um, so uh, today, uh, guys, before we get into it, um, let's just do a quick rundown of what we plan to talk about. I'm not promising that we'll get to everything because you know how good we are at that. Uh, Quackbot, you FBI uh, announced last week that they took down this cyber criminal group called Quackbot, Quackbot, however you want to say it. Uh, and then we have um, schools still under attack, and it's spreading around the world now. The cyber criminals have kind of said, "Hey, this is a pretty lucrative business to hit schools right before they're about to open up." Uh, we'll take a look at a few things that are going on there with recent cyber attacks that happened in the last week, but also update you on ones that we talked about a few weeks ago and let you know kind of what's happening there. Uh, Whoa. Um, then we're going to talk about Logic Monitor, who they are and why you should care that they got breached. And then a couple post-attack lessons if we have time. We're going to cover some cyber attacks that we talked about previously. Uh, and now we're going to look at what happened. Rackspace being one of them, and a company called Nature Fresh Farms. We're going to look through their cyber attacks and talk about some lessons learned and maybe some things that you can learn about what could happen in your business if you get hit with something like ransomware. So before we get into it, if we uh, enlighten you or teach you anything on this show, we just ask that you help us grow the show. And it's simple for you to do by sharing, liking, subscribing or commenting, doing one of those four things on any of our social media platforms, our podcasting platforms, or anywhere you see a social media post about Security Squawk, or if we share it on our own personal profiles, all that stuff, you commenting, you liking, and you just following us helps us out, helps other people find this content. And that's all we ask in return for our expertise that we share every week. So guys, I'm going to kind of defer to Andre because Andre told us that he was at an event last week um, where there was an FBI agent who actually spoke about this whole thing. Um, so Andre already knows a little bit about what's going on here. Um, but I guess before we talk about what the FBI did, who wants to take a stab at kind of breaking down who or what Quackbot is? I mean, very simply put, they're a um, it, it's a malware um, that's if my uh, if I'm understanding it right, it's not just used by one organization. Um, the malware is uh, <clears throat> on hundreds of thousands of computers, according to this uh, 
article that we linked to, um, over 700,000. Um, but this is a uh, malware that's used by uh, Conti, R Evil. Um, a lot of the big attacks that we've seen over the last year on hospitals, schools, city governments have been uh, CACBOT or whatever, however they pronounce it. But um, so it's a it's a pretty big deal that they were able to disable one of these uh, one of these malwares or ransomware as a service type malware um, that is so prolific. Prolific. Nice. Yeah, prolific. My bad. Nice. <laughs> Y'all are the first people I really had to talk to today. So, <laughs> and, and to give you guys some perspective as well, um, this the FBI is reporting that the quack bat, the quack bot has helped facilitate about 40 ransomware attacks in the last 18 months, generating about $58 million in ransom payments. So, this is a big operation going on right now. Well, was going on. Yeah, so um, this thing's been around. It's it's also known as Qbot. Um, it's a it's a, it's actually a banking trojan malware that has been around since two thousand seven, um, and it it it's evolved and and changed over the years for and and is used for various purposes other than just in the banking sector today. But the main things about this malware, this, this QBot malware that it does is number one, it's data theft. Um, it was originally designed to steal banking credentials uh, and personal data from individuals and people that work in companies. Um, it had the ability to propagate the network which made, on its own, which made it a, a very difficult uh, piece of malware to deal with once it was on your network. Had, it was always evolving. The cyber criminals were constantly working on this, this tool to make it work better for their purposes. Um, it can also download and execute other malware programs so it can help cyber criminals, you know, move laterally or get a deeper foothold on a network. Mm -hmm. um, it's hard for, uh, because of the way that this software is constructed, it's hard for traditional antivirus software to detect it. So it requires, you know, more than just antivirus software to find out that you have this on your systems. Uh, it can be uh, very persistent within machines. You don't, you might not even know it's there. Uh, and then it can also, you know, go around your network, especially corporate networks and do things like web injections. Um, you know, so, you know, we talk about on this show, we talk about like, Things being unpatched that are exposed to the internet. Well, this tool, once it's in your network, you know, this opens up a whole array of options for cyber criminals when they can attack you with something like this, because it's going to do things like look for various devices on your network that may have some kind of web server running on it. So this could be things from servers in your environment that aren't exposed to the internet, but they have some kind of like management tool built into it for IT people to deal with, you know, that piece of hardware should it go down or something like that. Typically known as something, it's called IPMI or something like that. Um, IDRAC people refer to it as if it's a if it's a Dell type system, right? These things run web servers and these need to be updated. And typically, when we go in and we do assessments, we always find these tip, these typically do not get updated. And they typically are chock full of vulnerabilities, especially if the server's like, you know, three, four or five years old. 
um, I can almost guarantee that that device, if it's not being updated, has vulnerabilities in it that can then be exploited. And that's what we're kind of talking about here. All the things like, you know, we stress about don't put something on the Internet and have it vulnerable. Right, guys? But we <clears throat> don't really stress as much the stuff inside the network that's behind the firewall that's not exposed that really, you know, a cyber criminal would already have to have foothold to take advantage of. But a tool like QBot makes their life a lot easier once they're in your network. So yeah. that's kind of how I break it down to, to explain to people, like, here's what this thing does once it gets on your network. The, yeah, that's and, and the way that it gets that foothold was initially back in the beginning of the year um, was using a basically a OneNote link um, and OneNote's on almost every single Windows computer on the planet. And so then they were able to, with that link to get you to download an HTML file, which then downloaded the quote unquote payload, the DLL file that ran in the background. Um, yeah. And then once they once they do that, then it's time to start living off the land. Then they basically like a, uh, you know, a survivalist YouTuber who you drop on an island, they figure out how to survive. That's basically what they do once they get a foothold into your in your network. They start looking for the things that Brian was talking about you know, like the uh, servers that are unpatched, things that are exposed to the internet. Um, what, a, what a gift that would be. Imagine you, they have their little, their little thing that starts, they got their little, their little foothold, and then you're running a server that's A, unpatched, B, that's pointing out on the internet. They can just reach out to it, you know, and do what they have to do. So anyway. Andre. Yeah, so... Yeah, so I was at a um, networking event, and the, there was an, actually an FBI agent, like a field agent who's very involved and very techie, and he was explaining how the government and how the FBI specifically work with the court systems to get the court permission to take this down. So what they did is they found out who the web hosting company was, where the server was, and then he didn't say if, if it was in the U.S. or another country, but they got permission to take the virtual machines that was um, that was running these that was running the service, and they were able to download the virtual machine, learn about how the systems work and the malware works, reverse engineer it. Then they then um, not going technical, but they then was able to now create a uninstaller tool. And it was then sent out to about 700,000 computers worldwide, which is interesting. We're going to talk about that, too. He mentioned there was only about 200,000 computers in the U.S. that was running it. And then from there, it was um, they, they were then able to uninstall it and essentially take it down without even the, the Quackbot real server recognizing this. So it was really it was a really cool thing that they did. So that's that's a really good like synopsis and like high level you know, kind of overview of like what they did. So I want to dive into some of the things that I read in the article that I thought were interesting. I guess number one with the stats that the FBI gained access to Quackbot infrastructure and was able to identify over 700,000 computers globally that were compromised by this malware with 200,000 being in the U.S. So we're... You know, not only did the FBI, just think about this for a minute, not only did the FBI, you know, help out 200,000 people, companies, you know, endpoints in the U.S., but they also helped out 500,000 around the world. 
by mm-hmm. dismantling this this entity. Uh, and, and they'll be back. Like let, 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 like they know how they they knew how to set this up from the beginning. Um, I have no doubt that they they'll be back in some way, shape, or form. They may not be as prolific as they were this time around, but I they have the roadmap to do what they already did, right? So, um, but uh, you mentioned when we were talking in the green room that. One of the things was, um, uh, you know, the FBI had to lead a multinational effort to bring these uh, cyber criminals down. Um, And it was France, Germany, Netherlands, UK, Romania and Latvia, all those countries, which we talk about all the time. Like, why is it so hard? And we've mentioned it on the show because you have to have a, a coalition of the willing um, and, you know, it just so happened, I guess, that they were able to pull this off by pulling together some some allies that, uh, you know, were friendly with and, and be able to do what they needed to do to dismantle this, uh, which was dismantle the infrastructure, as you said, Andre. Um, they, you know, and then they disabled the malware. Like you said, they basically created an uninstaller, right? They did a ton of R&D. They created an uninstaller. Um, but on top of that, they also seized $8.6 million in cryptocurrency, um, amassed by the cyber criminals through ransom payments. So I think that that's not something that we can just gloss over, that they were able to recover $8.6 million and, you know, somewhere, somehow, some way, maybe someone will be made whole uh, from these events. Um, and, you know, <clears throat> this really impacted three major sectors, this, this particular malware. We already mentioned financial institutions, but government contractors and medical device manufacturers were mm-hmm. the next two in line uh, for, you know, who was in, uh, infected with this QBot malware. Uh, and it primarily spread through spam email messages containing malicious attachments, as Randy said, kind of like OneNote stuff. When these attachments were activated, they, were, they installed ransomware on the victim's computer, subsequently shutting them down. And coursing victims into paying uh, ransom to regain access. Now that's simplifying it because the malware is on there for a while, and they're doing a lot of reconnaissance before you end up with the end result, which is usually ransomware. Ransomware is usually like, okay, we know what we have. We've we've gone through this network. We're confident. We know how to make the most profit. Now we're going to hit them with ransomware. And then that's usually how it goes down. It's not like somebody clicked on the email and then five minutes later you have ransomware. Uh, when this malware gets installed, they're doing all kinds of things behind the scenes that you're not seeing. And that's your time to detect that they're in there and stop them before it becomes ransomware. Thoughts on this, guys? No, I, I think it's great that the FBI, because how many times have we done this show and we're like, what the heck is the government doing? You're just like, it's just a pastor. They're just like watching everything happen. But this is a great, um, we, we normally don't see this. And this is something that we've talked about before. I, I think one time with Microsoft, if you guys remember with the Death Star, with SolarWinds, when Microsoft got involved. So um, not that it's the job of the FBI to protect your network and to do uninstallers on the computer, uh, because that can kind of start to get into some uh, touchy subjects that I'm sure Randy uh, would go on a rant about of the government going into <laughs> your computer without your permission. Because the, you know, the FBI didn't leave you know, a, a little postcard saying, hey, we were here. 
and now everything is good. They they're not going to disclose you know any of any of this of, of who was infected. So, but I think um, hey, if you can't take care of your systems, then I, I I would just say go for it then, right? It's an interesting. It's an interesting debate. That's for sure. We'll see. We'll see where that goes. So, I mean, as I mentioned, I think you know for the the broader cybersecurity landscape and what this means to that. I would say at least I'll, I, you know, I'll ask you, Randy, to kind of chime in. For me, the the broader picture of this takedown is 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 simply that this is going to put a small, you know, it's a small road bump for these guys. It's gonna it's gonna hurt a little bit, um, but like I said, they they know how to reconstruct this because they did it once. It's kind of like anything with IT. Once you know how to do it, once you know how to do it a million times. Right. So it's just going to be, they got to move to a different address. They got to set up shop somewhere else. You know, it's just like any other criminal organization that gets, you know, they get busted in one area, they move somewhere else. Nobody knows about them. They set up a new identity and and then they start rocking and rolling. So. Yeah. Yeah. One thing too, is they didn't keep, they could have probably kept this classified, right? They put this out. So this was kind of a little jagger to the cyber criminals to say, Hey, you know, look at look at what we're capable of doing. Look what we did. Yeah, it's definitely a little bit of a psyop. That's for sure. That's a good that's a good uh, point. And you know, it's really just a cat and mouse game. And it's kind of on one hand, it's cool that they did it. On the other hand, though, it reminds me of like during like two thousand and five, maybe till two thousand and twenty. I don't even. I'm not. I don't know the exact dates. But for quite a while there, probably a decade, every month, Microsoft would pick the number one infection on the planet and they would create like a fixer for it. And they would run it out to all of their machines um, via like Microsoft Defender or something like that or a Windows update that would basically it was like an uninstall tool for the biggest, you know, virus or whatever was going on that month. This kind of reminds me of that. Um, like it's not real. It's okay. It's good. They're doing it. It doesn't really fix anything. It just like, like Brian already said, it's just a little roadblock. Um, it's a roadblock. It buys us a few weeks. They probably already have 10 other, you know, versions to roll out in its, you know, in its place. One of the articles I read said that the little, the little patch of sorts that we mentioned to stop future infections like literally made it sound like they couldn't get malware going forward. And like, I don't think that's true at all. I mean, I, that's probably just a reporter not really knowing what they were saying um, in that particular uh, article. Anyway. Yeah. One thing the article didn't say was there was no arrest. Right. So. So hopefully they're working on next month's biggest problem out there and they're going to roll out a fix for that. AKA or a la Microsoft 2005. It'll be interesting to see, though, over time, what's more effective uh, in terms of stopping these guys. Is it is it what you what you kind of alluded to there, uh, Andre? With you know, there's no arrest. So will arrest be the more effective thing, or will just dismantling mm-hmm. the infrastructure? be the more effective thing. I mean, I personally think infrastructure can be rebuilt. I think you need to get the people 
you know, the, the people that have the technology and the people that have the know-how, that's how you prevent this stuff, in my opinion. Yeah. So, all right, guys, moving right along. We got a lot of uh, cyber attacks happening in the education sector as we talk about kind of, it seems like, endlessly here. Uh, I think that's our next thing, right? Yep. Uh, yeah. Um, so we have quite a few, uh, schools, uh, in this, um, in this one Suffolk. And I think we talk about this, this Suffolk County we talked about for a lot. This Suffolk, I believe is, uh, in the UK, I believe. Is that right guys? So we have Highgate Woods, uh, Highgate Woods schools, uh, delayed, uh, to a, a cyber attack. That's in the UK. Suffolk, uh, their schools are forced online. That's in the U.S. Chambersburg Area School District in Pennsylvania, we mentioned. Uh, we're going to kind of talk about that a little bit and what the fallout has been from that. Um, and then, you know, it's kind of, just kind of, you know, some of the larger implications uh, for these educational institutions and the children that they serve kind of in the same lines as what's going on with healthcare. Uh, breaches and things like that. So jumping right into it, um, anyone of you guys want to take this or you want me to just read the article? Yeah, you can read it and we'll comment. All right. So give me one second here. We're going to start with the Suffolk. Yeah. So, um, so this is, uh, this is actually, these are all in England. So we're kind of, you know, um, and we usually kind of pick on us schools, um, but UK kind of a seems to be in the news. B their schools are just starting up for the year, and C the majority of U.S. schools are starting last week and this week, and we're coming off the heels of the Labor Day holiday. And I know of cyber attacks that are happening right now that aren't in the news yet. So, you know, next week we're going to basically be covering the same stuff probably for a lot of U.S. schools. Um, so le uh, leading English secondary school shut down its IT systems following a cyber attack just days before the start of the new academic year. Um, any any surprise here, guys? I mean, it's kind of the same story. And uh, I mean, we, we don't need to read too much into this. Um, we can just kind of just talk about it because it's the same story just happening in a different country, right? Schools being attacked right before they need to launch, right? And it's kind of like the MO of these cyber criminals. They, they just wait and, and, and want to, you know, cause the most hoopla as they can. So um, they're, they're offline. And then we have Highgate Wood School uh, in, in England also, right, uh, is under a cyber attack. I don't know why my computer is being so slow today, guys, but it is. Um, the school will be starting its new six-day term late after it was uh, targeted in a cyber attack. Parents were informed that the Highgate Wood School in uh, Montnote Road has become the victim of a, an attack and has prevented the school from accessing systems. As a result, the start of the Crouch End Secondary School term next Tuesday has been delayed to September 11th. So here we go. I mean, <clears throat> this... I mean, why we want to talk about this stuff and why we want to highlight the timing of this stuff and why we're highlighting these attacks that are happening right now is because your businesses can learn, any business, any organization can learn from this. Like, 
it's not to make or make you more stressed out as you approach some kind of an event in your in your organization it's to make you aware that if a cyber criminal is in your system that they, they're looking for these things in order to figure out when is the right time to strike right so the important thing here to take away is is like that because that's the mo right now and they're not so much they're not so much like hey we got a we got a quick hit as soon as we get access we need to hit them right away they're laying low and they're sitting in your network and they're trying to figure out by looking at emails, by looking at files that you have, when is the right time to strike that buys you time to then find them and get them out. Um, so that's kind of how I look at it guys. Right. But that also, you know, that, that to me is like, if we're going to spend money anywhere, we got to spend money on detection. Do you guys agree or disagree on that? I, no, I totally agree. And one thing I was thinking as you were talking is let's think about the ratios between students, teachers to the IT staff. And like, how is the IT staff's job to make sure that they're doing the training? Like teachers have to think about so much other things and all the other problems happening in the ed education system for now them to worry about, okay, what type of emails are coming in or, you know, what websites are the students are going in? So I, I could just see that that IT administrator at a school district or if it's a private school and you know they're just in charge of of that particular um couple of buildings that's there that they have a massive job in front of them that they're just overwhelmed and can't handle it right and it's um <clears throat> we say this all the time it's a huge huge target to be able to get um a hold of you know, whatever they have in Britain, the equivalent of a social security number um, with someone who is a student right now, because most people that are eight years old aren't checking their credit report and neither are their parents. So if they can get access to this stuff, they can open up credit potentially in the names of those people who are, you know, won't even know what hit them, you know, probably for however, until they turn 18 or whatever, and start trying to apply for actual credit on their own, then they'll be like, wow, you have horrible credit, or maybe you have a great credit because all this stuff is open in your name. I don't know, but um, pretty, pretty juicy target for the criminals, for sure. Yeah. And so, you know, we talked about last week, you know, this Chambersburg area school district, and they were dealing with a cyber attack. We kind of said the same exact stuff. Um, and they're dealing with a ransomware event and students were asked to leave electronic devices at home and could not access the internet at school. Uh, they reopened on Friday, September 1st, or, or classes resume. And the school also had limited access to its buildings for visitors and volunteers, which tells you that basically their systems were down. The systems that they used, you know, to get people in the door and, and all that stuff to, you know, the, the door locks and stuff like that were probably all still down. They were probably, you know, doing their kind of incident response, going to paper or whatever, what have you. Um, you know, but one of the things that as I was going through this article and, and looking for information for the show today, a um, couple of things related to that hack, the district has yet to confirm the hack, um, but people with knowledge to the situation believe that it was a ransomware attack. But um, you know, here we are in the beginning of the school year, September of 2023, um, and there's been 120 school districts 
in the U.S. who have faced ransomware this year in 2023. That's a well, lot. Yeah. yeah. 120. That's that's one a day, right? I don't know. Is it one a day? Yes. One. It's about one every two to three days. That is crazy. And keep in mind, the schools, it's definitely going to make the news. So just imagine all the businesses that are getting hit and not making the news, but it's happening. Yeah, the schools have to report it. I mean, right. they, they, you know, again, there's certain businesses that don't have the luxury of hiding this stuff. We've talked, I've talked about that on the show. You know, if you're, if you're, you know, a law firm who, you know, isn't necessarily really public facing, maybe there's just a lot of contract law and stuff. You don't even go to court and you get hit with ransomware. There's a very good chance or probability that you can get away with not disclosing that to very many people. Um, schools don't have that luxury. Doctors' offices, restaurants, um, grocery stores, they don't have that luxury because when people want to go there and walk in the front door and, and shop or whatever and they're being turned away, uh, that quickly spreads on social media and that quickly becomes a news story and that quickly becomes you know, a PR nightmare for a lot of businesses out there. So uh, keep that in mind, you know, as you listen to us, as we talk through this and as, as we educate you on kind of like what's happening, this is what's going on with school districts, but you can also learn from these and, and kind of apply these same concepts and ideas in your own business as you think about like how you're going to deal with something like ransomware, which you're going to have to deal with. When you're talking about 120 schools being hit in the first nine months of the year, this problem is accelerated so much for so many different organizations that, you know, any business out there that thinks that they're never going to get hit or they're not going to ever get hit, um, you, you have probably something else coming in, in the next five years because there's going to be people who do stuff and they're going to be protected. And there's going to be people who have the attitude that like, I'm never going to get hit and they're going to be the ones that have a problem. It, it would be as, um, as asinine as living in a known hurricane zone like South Florida or South Texas where hurricanes come on the regular and, and saying, well, I'm never going to get hit by a hurricane. So I'm going to have my house down there. And I'm not going to have hurricane insurance and I'm not going to have shutters I can close when there's a storm. And I'm not going to have a Rolodex full of contractors for when one comes. And I'm just going to say, well, it's not going to ever happen to me. You know, I've read all the stuff from storms and there's only been a million houses that have been, you know, demolished out of hundreds of millions of houses. You know, it's that it's that same kind of attitude. And the reality. Uh oh. We lost them. Uh, the hurricane hit him. Hurricane got him. <laughs> he was talking smack on the hurricane, and hurricane got him. At least he's smiling. Uh, well, let's see what happens. I lost my video, man. What the heck? Did you uh, reboot your cable modem there, buddy? <laughs> no. Yeah. Yeah, it's an instant reboot. It takes 1.3 seconds. Let me try that again. I'll turn on the camera. What about now? Still? Still lagging? You're, yep. You're good. You're good. Okay. So anyway, bo bottom line, it's the same thing. It's just not being prepared for a common natural disaster in areas where they're common. And it's, you're right. It's not, it's not a matter of, of if it's a matter of when, and we just need to be ready for it. 
Yeah, I mean, we're, we're 10 years in and, you know, fighting this battle for the most part, most businesses. And, you know, uh, you know, it's so cliche, you know, it's not a matter of if, but when. But unfortunately, the chances of, of that when are significantly going up. They're not going down for any business um, and for a lot of different reasons. So anything else you guys want to add before we jump into logic monitor and we're good right yep all right so this uh network monitoring company logic monitor uh and i don't know why they're minimizing this but a small number of its SaaS platform users been were affected by cyber attacks um basically this article that we found at bleeping computer says that although logic monitor has not uh, officially identified these ransomware attacks uh, threat actors hacked customer accounts, creating local accounts, and deployed ransomware. The ransomware was reportedly introduced through the platform's on-premise logic monitor collector sensors, and the attacks occurred last week, and logic monitor is now assisting affected users. Two days prior, the company was looking into technical abnormalities impacting user accounts. A an additional source revealed that breaches resulted from weak default passwords provided by logic monitor to new users. The company currently has over 25,000 users and has been criticized for its limited sharing of information about the incident. So a couple of things here, guys, um, that I want to dive into. One, um, you know, again, a, a, a tool deployed to help IT people manage networks, right? Essentially, a, a God mode tool for the most part, right? If this tool has access to your systems, it's pretty much designed to be able to do whatever it wants. Um, now, I'm not privy to how the actual hack or, or vulnerability is exploited in this situation. It sounds, some kind of, sounds like some kind of reverse web shell proxy or something that they're doing on the agent. You're muted. You're it muted. actually says down in the article uh -huh. that the logic monitor people when they set you up. So Andre signs up yeah. and they send Andre a login. That's his email address, you know, yeah. plus password one, two, three or something like that. And they're real easy to guess. And maybe it's his last name and one, two, three or something like that. And that's what people are saying. It's default weak passwords. And then people get that and they don't change the password, which I've never been a huge uh, fan fan of that. And if that was your password, I'm sorry for giving it out, Andre. Yeah. <laughs> Andre, money sign one two, one two yeah. three. And, and, and it's just it's just amazing. It's it's you know th these are the types of tools. You know, I'm sure the customers that were impacted. You know what they're going through today, learning that a tool that was put on their network maybe unknowingly to them or unbeknownst to them because they work with another provider who use logic monitor as part of their stack. Right. <clears throat> um, you know, I, I would, you know, I would say in most cases, most companies don't know if they outsource their it, even if they don't outsource their it um, be, just because the nature of it and they have the ability to push things and install things and do things. I would venture to say that most people 
who are going to have to deal with a ransomware attack. And that's not the IT people. I'm talking about the people that are going to have to deal with the business side of it and write the checks to get through it. Most of those people are completely unaware of the software that's installed on their systems. So the IT people can, can manage it. Right. And that's what we're talking about here. This software helped IT people manage the system. And this could have been deployed to the companies impacted and they're waking up today learning that they have to deal with ransomware because of some piece of software that the IT company or the IT department was using to manage their network. Um, you know, most people think like, oh, I have Office. I, you know, I have, you know, the basic stuff that I use, you know, in my day-to-day -to, -day to, to do my job, right? That's the software I have on my computer. But if you actually go in your ad remove programs, and sometimes it's not even in ad remove programs. Sometimes it's installed some other way um, and, it, and it's not necessarily listed in ad remove programs. You might have to look for just a process or something like that. Um, so it becomes difficult to find these tools sometimes or know that they're running on your system. Um, but it's a big, I mean, I, I guess I want to open up the, where I'm going with this is I want to ask you guys, like, what are your thoughts on, um, you know, the disclosure of using this kind of software in, in an environment? Like, do you think it's it's the responsibility of the people who are using the software to kind of disclose to see? I mean, am I am I even barking up the wrong tree here? Do you think C CEOs and executives would want to know that they have a piece of software that if it's exploited could potentially cause a bad day? Right. And I guess why I'm pointing this out is because this is an allowed piece of software. So if somebody abuses it, living off the land type of thing, right? If somebody abuses it, there ain't no tool that's going to stop it, right? The, the zero trust tools trust this tool, right? So if it's being abused where they're creating local accounts and deploying ransomware, um, you know, what are your thoughts on all that? So is your question more like if we now are going to a client, we need to disclose that hey, six months ago, Logic Monitor had this incident, just letting you know, is that where you're going at? Um, no, more or less that if you were using Logic Monitor, letting people know that this is the tool that we're using on, in your environment to manage your network. And, you know, if it gets exploited, this, you know, this is, you know, I guess it's, that's, kind of, you know what I'm saying, right? You you put this tool in their network and if it gets exploited and leads to them getting ransomware, do you think you should tell them ahead of time that you had software that if it's exploited, you could potentially be dealing with ransomware? Because I, I think the yeah. perception is, is that you're putting things on their network to prevent ransomware. Right. Right. And in this case, if you're, you're, you're like, I guess almost like a, Hey, we're putting these tools on, but they can be, there are ways it can be abused while we try to minimize those ways, you know, there nothing, you know, nothing's foolproof. Right. So what are your thoughts on that? Because I, I think like for somebody who's got to write a check for a ransomware attack to learn that they had software on their network that allowed this to even happen in the first place. Um, um. What are your thoughts there, Randy? Well, I mean, so first off, IT in and of itself is is somewhat risky because you you are allowing a third party or even an employee to basically have access to all of your machines 
They usually have access to passwords. They usually have access to patching software, monitoring software like this. So all kinds of things that they have access to. Um, so I think, I don't think that up front that they should have said, hey, we're using, you know, network logic or whatever it's called. Like, because. Logic monitor. Yeah, logic monitor. Sorry. Um, because that's a, that's that's a thing. That's a that's an IT stack software. Um, but definitely after the fact, there needs to be some sort of um, there needs to be a notification here for people that were using it, you know, that even if it, if, it, if you weren't one of the ones affected, still letting your customers know, hey, you know, we are keeping an eye on the situation. A little while ago, you, you mentioned you mentioned um, basically detection and detection is a lot more than just running something on the software. It's also you know, bringing in traffic that's going across the network, bringing in traffic on your 365 tenant, looking for things that like an AI can fit it all together and look and see what's happening. And so a good IT company would be able to, that was a cybersecurity focused IT company would be able to reach out to the customer and say, Hey, there was a, there was a breach of network logic. Um, it wasn't us or it was us. But we also have all these other things in place and we're keeping an eye on the situation. And here's what we're doing to remediate what potentially would happen. And P.S., you should have got cybersecurity insurance like a year ago when we told you to stop putting it off. Yeah, this is I, I would say this is our worst nightmare, because there's one thing if one of your client, one of our clients got a, a, a business email compromise and it's isolated to that one you know, company or that one user. But when you wake up in the morning and now you're finding out all 50 of your clients, including yourself, is going through this. This is like something that, you know, is just like a really, really uh, bad situation. And um, definitely, you know, well, I won't mention any names, but it has happened in our industry where, where there's been a company and it's a tool that many people know and it installed on the computers and they got and it was a big it was a big compromise. Uh, but they're still around and um, love them or hate them. But um, it's a it's a useful tool, and we need these tools. We're, this logic monitor is looking at the network and and doing all of these things that we need to do to be able to help you. So I don't know one tool that's out there that you know if if not breach and has this god mode ability can now prevent anything like this from happening. Yep. Good stuff. Good point. And, uh, you know, we're going to learn a lot more about what happened with Logic Monitor as, as the details come out. And we'll obviously continue to update everybody on the show as we as we learn more. Um, but I think it's I think it's smart for IT people in general to, you know, go over in detail with you know, decision makers, the, the tools that are being installed and, and what could go wrong if they're abused, right? And and, and be, there needs to be some disclosure around that because um, trying to put myself in the shoes of a CEO learning that, you know, the tools that my IT, com my IT company or my IT team uses is what led to these types of attacks. Um, I think a lot of people would be surprised when they find themselves in that scenario when to us, it's, it's not that surprising. So I think it's time that we, we make that call. So, um, and it only helps with, you know, just 
sharing of information, right? And that's kind of what we're going into here with the, the last segment, which is, you know, talking about what happened with two specific ransomware attacks. One we talked about a lot, which was Rackspace. This other one, I don't think we ever talked about Nature Fresh Farms, but I liked it because of um, their candidness to share what they learned through their cyber attack. And I think some of those things, um, you know, can be helpful to companies. So um, just let's tackle the Rackspace one first, guys. And if we remember back uh, just shy of a year ago in, in December of 2022, Rackspace got hit with ransomware affecting their Microsoft Exchange, their hosted exchange platform, um, which ultimately caused uh, a lot of small to mid-sized businesses who use that platform for their email to be told that you need to go elsewhere and we may or may not be able to get your data back. Um, the Play Ransomware group exploited a vulnerability on the Microsoft Exchange servers that they ran that they decided not to patch. Um, and Rackspace incurred expenses of, at this point, $10.8 million dollars for investigations, remediations, legal fees, and additional staff support uh, to deal with the problem. So, and that's not even the full pie of everything that they're going to have to pay for as a result of this. That's basically the number that said, we're never going to be able to recoup the money from this. And they decided to cut the service completely from their service line and basically told everybody, you know, you got to move to, to M365 or some other hosting platform. Um, now it also goes on to state in the article that they're also facing multiple lawsuits seeking compensation due to the attack, which they should. We've helped the comp we, our company at Exact. We helped quite a few companies uh, transition away from Rackspace, recover their email from Rackspace. Um, it, it was a mess. And these companies, I, one company that came to us was didn't basically set up pop three accounts and use that for four months while they figured out what they were, what their next move was going to be and stuff <laughs> like that. So the amount of inefficiencies that it caused them and the time that they had to spend dealing with these it issues uh, through no fault of their own. Um, unfortunately it's going to lead to class action lawsuits, which we know, you know, only the lawyers make money there. Um, but you know, the other piece of this is that Rackspace anticipates that uh, cyber insurance is going to cover the rest of what they have to pay. Um, and it also remains unclear whether they actually paid the ransom or not, because um, they haven't said that. But um, be interesting to see what happens here in the future to see whether or not cyber insurance pays here, guys, because we talk about it all the time that cyber insurance look for ways to mm -hmm. not pay when you're blatantly <laughs> openly admitting that you're not patching your servers. I got to imagine that there's something, some kind of question in there that says, do you have a patch schedule, you know, management, you know, plan schedule, whatever. And they probably answered yes to it. And <laughs> ultimately they decided not to patch these servers and ended up in this situation. Did you find it kind of interesting that, you know, here we are where they're basically saying in an article, here's all our costs that we've had associated with this. And yes, we anticipate future costs, but we think cyber insurance is going to pay for it. Do you, do you feel like they're wrong here? Cause I do. I think they've 
uh, one, I think this number has got to be wrong of 10.8 million. It seems like just having all the extra staff they had to hire was, was, was that much. Um, and then you're not factoring in the fact that they were, yes, they well, were unmatched. Well, let's remember there was no recovery. Right. There was. It's literally they paid people just to walk in a room and say, here's your, here's your situation. And then their ultimate, ultimate decision was we're not going to operate that portion of the business, portion of the business anymore. That, and that's where I was going to get at was that they were using, yeah, they were old and unpatched servers, but they were servers that had a very minimal cost associated with them. And now they're moving people over to 365 with, you know, let's say a 20% margin or whatever it is. Yeah. I, I bet you their overall. I bet you their attrition rate. I bet you their attrition rate was well over 80% though. I don't think they moved anybody to 365. I think other companies moved them away. Once, yeah. Once they're in 365 is what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah. You know, doesn't yeah. seem as lucrative as running an exchange server, you know, from a, just a profit. So do you think cyber insurance will pay here or not? No, it's going to be a battle over the settlement. But the fact yeah. that there was, these were unpatched servers, I mean, that's that's insurance application 101, right? Yeah. I mean, we yeah. went through that in sure. the show. And, and I, I just think that, yeah, I mean, again, whoever's running Rackspace, these, again, these decisions are just, like we look at, I look at them and go, wow. I'm like, really another bad decision around this stuff. Like you're going to publicly come out and, and state that you think cyber insurance is going to pay when you didn't patch your servers. You're, they're going to fight that too. Like, you know, so. Yeah. It's a little cocky. So I figured they're trying to make sure they're a public company and they are trying to make the investors happy and, and sue them and make things, Hey, everything's going to be okay. So they, their revenue last year was 3 billion. Uh, mm -hmm. Uh, $3.1 billion and their stock is down 48% uh, year over year. Yeah. So, and, it, and it's yeah. going to keep going down. Yep. Yep. So let's just wrap up the show here, guys, with uh, this nature's best. Uh, and I think we can educate people a lot around this one. I found it very interesting, but nature of fresh farms faced a ransomware attack earlier this year, leading them on a journey to enhance their cybersecurity measures. Um, and, and I remember a few, uh, several months ago when we talked about how much companies spend on cybersecurity before an attack and then what their spending looks like after an attack. And it's just like this ridiculous like increase in spend, like way more than they actually need to spend. Um, but, you know, it's such a knee jerk reaction after you get punched in the mouth that, you know, companies start spending money like crazy so they don't have to deal with another problem. Um the company's VP of IT and security shared that they revamped their approach towards vendor compliance with their cybersecurity policy and have become stricter about firewall configurations. Well, that's good. Uh, one key realization was that their previous backup solution, though effective, didn't restore data quickly enough. I wanted to stop there. So one, we have a firewall reconfiguration, so we can probably assume that they got hit through a VPN. More than likely, probably didn't have two-factor and probably didn't, you know, you know, they probably let anybody connect to it. Um, and uh, backup solution. You know, it was there, but it didn't it didn't get them back up as quickly as they thought. Right. And I and that's just indicative of a they, they didn't go through an incident response or they didn't do test restores on their backups to know 
you know, how long it takes. I mean, I remember, I remember, you know, God bless them data when they first started selling their product and they were like, Oh, we can have your customers spun up in the cloud in an hour. Well, yeah, but five people can use their cloud. Right. And you're going to tell a hundred person company that you can have their, them back up and running in an hour when not everybody can use that system. Cause as soon as five people get on it, it, it slows down to nothing. Um, but you're not going to know that unless you test it, unless you actually take it through its rigors. Um, and that's where we see a lot of IT companies, they, they kind of fall for the, or a lot of IT people or departments fall for the marketing, right, of, of certain products. And they don't test it themselves to learn what's, what's really achievable. Um, so that's a, you know, one thing that we want to point out is like, you know, companies need to look at this, like, you don't just go off the marketing flyer that somebody gave you when you bought the product. Like after you do um, your backups, you should be going through test restores at a certain point to see what's really achievable. And I want to add a similar, uh, similar amount of, dis- of comment there on firewalls, because you take a typical expensive enterprise firewall out of the box and just plug it in. It's, not really going to be any different than a firewall you buy at Best Buy for your house. Um, it's going to have a NAT firewall, which just means you're on a different network than the outside world and they can't really get to you. These things have to be configured. And, you know, we talk about zero trust all the time. It's almost a buzzword and a cliche word that cool hip kids talk about. But when you're talking a firewall, your firewall should also be zero trust, which means if if workstation three needs access to port 5001, you don't open it up on the whole dang firewall. You just open it up for just exactly who needs it. Um, and there's a lot of things like that. A lot like rarely do I ever see a firewall that blocks outgoing ports that are unneeded. And it, and it really ought to be zero trust in and zero trust out. Only allow in exactly what you need. Only allow out what exactly what you need. Um, and you can, you can stop so many things just by, just by doing that. So good for them for, uh, hopefully it sounds like adopting that approach, um, with their firewalls as well. Yeah. But again, you, you know, good for them, but at the same time, they had to go through an event to, to learn this, right? Exactly. So the, 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 you know, what you don't want to do is you don't want to, model them and go through an event and figure this out <laughs> right do, do do testing do your backup restore testing at a minimum you don't have to do a full-blown incident response plan if you're not ready for that yet but at least make sure that your it people are doing test restores and they give you a legitimate like report that says you know it's going to take us this long and if they tell you like it's an hour i would question load you know, if you hear like, oh, yeah, we can spin you up in the cloud, like, you know, sometimes you have to order new servers and, you know, things like that. You might be down for weeks uh, if you don't have a way to get those quickly. Um, so just think about those things, um, because um, they go in and they say basically they've 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 improved their backup, not only the, the infrastructure that they use, but also the utilities that they use and they feel they're better prepared for not only attacks, but safeguarding against hidden threats. Um, And, you know, 
this IT person's advice from Nature Fresh Farms uh, to companies is to always be prepared, emphasizing the need to, to both defend against and recover from potential cyber attacks. And I think his point is that you want to be able to defend and recover, right? You got to be able to defend, but you also have to be able to recover uh, from, from these cyber attacks. And that's, you know, <clears throat> without having to go through an event, incident response planning, testing your incident response plan is how you, is how you deal with this stuff. So, so I have a job, I have a joke and I have a mic drop that's going to end the show. Cool. <laughs> so first I'm wondering why is this guy smiling ear to ear? And when I looked at his LinkedIn, He's been there for 11 years and he's still there. So they didn't fire him. <laughs> nice. And then the mic drop and uh, to end the show is uh, right here. Where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Are you going to share your screen? Oh, no, no, no. It wasn't. This is the uh, this is the guy speaking, Keith Bradley. <laughs> it wasn't a PC that we were worried about. We didn't think about things that way. We didn't think security first we didn't think it needed to be protected. So it was that single PC that took them down. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, um, Always is. This, this potentially could end up being very valuable for a lot of businesses. I have a friend who was the number two IT guy at a 500 person company. Didn't really know a lot about security, but he knew enough to know that they weren't doing any at all kept saying it to um, to his boss. They end up having a huge ransomware attack. The boss got fired over it. Uh, my friend got promoted to the number one person there, and, and now he's cybersecurity focused, and he gets asked to go speak all the time at little networking groups and stuff like that because they went through this huge um, this huge ransomware event, and people want to learn about it. So I know yeah. you said mic drop. I'm sorry, and then I kept talking, but there you go. It's all right. So – Thanks, uh, Andre. That was a that was a actually really good uh, thought point there. And then Randy, uh, you know, we always enjoy it when you add to uh, Andre's mic, mic drop. drop. When, you, when you pick his mic up and you just start rapping on your own, that's, that's, that's <laughs> I pick bad. it up. Is this thing on? <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so uh, but yeah, it, yeah, it's just one of those things where we're just trying to educate people on 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 these different things, and and there's so much information out there. If you just read articles and learn what other people have gone through, and and understand that there's 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 really is a right way to do this and a wrong way, um, and just to kind of go with back to what Randy was trying to mic drop with, we deal with this all the time where people are not understanding that anything you plug into your network can be the reason you get hacked. We just went through this uh, with a client of ours last week where, you know, they want to install just a simple door lock, you know, digital keypad door lock reader, um, but it connected to their network. And we started evaluating it from a cybersecurity standpoint. And, you know, the installer of that keypad was like, kind of like, why are you, why do you guys care? What are you guys asking all these questions for? Um, at the end of the day, it's because we have to decide what we're going to do with that device and how it's going to be handled, um, which at the end of the day, we did our investigation. We learned about the product. We understood how it was going to be managed and maintained, and we made our decision on how we were going to allow it on the network. And that's what has to be done. You can't just let somebody come in and just plug things in. Or as Andre said, 
it was just that one PC, right? Yeah. All right. We'll see everybody next week. Thanks, guys. Good show. Take care. Everybody. All right. Take care.